Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large 100-plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome back, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. Today, you have me, Connor, hanging out with you today. AJ is out, but we have a phenomenal guest back in the house again today. As you guys know, uh, Terry Campbell works with Live Oak Bank. We've had him on before. You guys have heard of Live Oak Bank. Uh, we've talked about it over and over and over again on the podcast. Our guests have talked about Live Oak and all the incredible experiences they've had with them. And uh, no, just super, super excited to jump into this episode today with Terry. Terry, thanks a bunch for coming on, man. How the heck are you? And I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm, I'm, I appreciate being back on here. Yeah, yeah, you bet. No, it's it's awesome to have you back on and to uh, to really dive into all the stuff uh, finance wise. Just see what's going on in your world and see how things are coming. See how things are going along with you. And um, this is uh, a huge topic. Uh, all all the episodes or anything we've ever done that include Live Oak or you has just been uh, a huge success. And I know this is a topic and, and a lot of questions a lot of people have. So uh, really, really excited to jump into this with you here. So uh, first and foremost, just like a little background of some. Somebody hasn't listened to the other episodes with you. Uh, a little background on you and Live Oak and kind of what you guys got going on. Sure. I have been in the industry going on 27 years now. My first 20 years uh, in the industry was with one of the largest self-storage building manufacturers in the country. And um, I started out there as a drafter. And over the years, I just I kept working my way up. And I was the executive VP of operations and VP of sales and marketing uh, before I left, which is, by the way, that's too much for one person to do. Uh, but it was, it was during the it was during the great financial crisis, and um, Live Oak um, was looking to get into lending to self storage builders and owners. And um, the way they do uh, do business is the business model is they find uh, some of the businesses that have the least default. And uh, they look into those, do a lot of research, and obviously self-storage came uh, on their radar uh, at the top uh, of the list of the good projects uh, to look at or good industries to look at for, you know, from, from that perspective. And uh, I, they contacted me uh, sort of out of the blue. A few people they were talking to during their due diligence had sort of pointed them in my direction. And uh, long story short, uh, I left after a little over 20 years as a building uh, manufacturer uh, and jumped over into the lending side. Didn't have a lending background or finance background, but um, they were they said they wanted somebody who knew the industry, knew how to go to market, knew who the players were, and uh, built a team around me uh, in that aspect. Um, they were learning from me, the self-storage business. I was learning from them, the lending business. And uh, long story short, that's where how we got to where we are. We're the largest SBA lender in the country as a bank. And our team, my team does nothing but self-storage lending every day, all day long across the United States. And uh, we're, we're closing in, uh, we're around 850 million uh, in self-storage loans that we've done over the last six and a half years. That is incredible. 
And I mean, what amazing foresight of the leadership of Live Oak to really jump in to the asset class like storage back before it was like the cool thing to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, when we got started, you know, when we started the team at the bank, it was when the industry was coming back out of the funk from the great financial crisis. And uh, it was peak, peak time to have started this uh, because there was such a pent up demand that was created uh, during the great financial crisis. People, you know, could not get money, couldn't build. And, um, it just kind of hit it at the right time of the decision to go into the self storage business because that was when the, the faucet started opening up. Lots of opportunity, lots of people out there that were wanting to build, and it's just worked out really, really good for us. Man, no kidding, no <laughs> kidding. What incredible just insight, planning, timing, all that stuff. I mean, all around, and just awesome that they they found you to be a part of of that. And that's one of the huge things that we talk to people about in this. I, I don't, I don't want to say selling points because I don't like the word selling, but uh, just the talking points of Live Oak and you guys over there is just knowing the storage asset class, knowing like you're talking about how to value it, what it is in these different markets and so forth, and being able to accurately underwrite. And um, I mean, you've heard the podcast episodes with some of our other guests who've who've worked directly with you and and uh, your colleagues and everything. And and you guys go above and beyond to ensure that you know you're underwriting correctly, they're underwriting correctly, everything is working well for everybody, and uh, it's it's a after all, a good investment at the end of the day, uh, which is just incredible. You guys do awesome work. Can't say enough good stuff about you guys. Uh, it's just incredible, too, to hear these stories of these people that come on the podcast and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we talked to Terry and, you know, he's telling us this and that and we're getting things all squared away or we got an SBA loan. And um, just hearing those experiences just over and over again is a, is a huge testament to you guys and, and all the awesome work you're doing. And uh, to that, there, there's a lot of those people that are looking for SBAs specifically. And I know the people that we've talked to have used SBAs specifically a lot of times. Do you want to kind of dive into into what those are, what you guys are doing with those currently, all that kind of stuff, just a, a good rundown of, of the SBA sure. route, if that's the route they want to go getting into storage? Sure. And, you know, SBA, uh, sometimes people mistakenly think that, you know, they're too big or this is not a loan for me. Uh, a lot of people still don't understand uh, exactly how it works. And, and when I joined the bank for two years, I was the SBA evangelist in our industry uh, because, you know, it started, uh, SBA made self-storage eligible in the fall of 2010. And um, people who were trying to get loans back then who couldn't tried to go the SBA route. And it was a nightmare for them because most banks do not understand it and they don't know the program. And it was, the SBA program got a black eye because of that. Because you really need to understand it. You need to work with a bank. For sure. Uh, you know, hopefully it's us. But, you know, if you're, if you're not working with us, you, work, you need to work with a bank that knows the SBA really well. Pref preferably, they're a preferred lender. Uh, that's going to uh, help the process a lot. But um, the, the programs, there are two programs, the 7A and the 504. They're both, uh, um, well, the, the first one, 7A, uh, is a basically a government guaranteed loan. We're, we're providing the money. And the SBA is providing us a guarantee up to 75% against any loss. And it allows us to have a little more flexible terms, such as as little as 10% down uh, on your down payment. 25-year uh, fully amortizing, no balloons, uh, no financial covenants. Uh, they can't really call your loan uh, unless you don't make your payment. 
Uh, so, you know, that that has helped a lot of people that, have, you know, wanted to get into this business and, and traditionally and in the past, you know, before SBA was conventional lending where you needed 25, 35% down, depending on the institution you're talking with. And a lot of people just did not have that, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unless they brought in partners and then, you know, a lot of times people don't want partners. I get that. Uh, but this program has allowed a lot of people to get into this industry with or without partners um, because of the lower equity requirements up front. Uh, yeah, there's a little more documentation, a little more paperwork and things like that, but you only do it once. Uh, and so it's, it's really helped you know, a lot of folks uh, to get into the business. And um, the, the 504, which I touched on, again, it's um, not a government guaranteed loan. It's actually uh, it's a capital stack where the bank provides about provides 50 percent of the loan. And the SBA provides uh, uh, usually around 35 percent. It can be uh, up to 40 or as little as 30, but usually it's 35 percent with the borrower bringing in 15 percent. Uh, if it's if it's not an existing business, um, so the, the some of the differences there is uh, with us with the seven A you're only going to be dealing with the bank. With a 504, you're going to deal with the bank, uh, a CDC, Certified Development Company, which is sort of a nonprofit liaison between the bank, the customer, and the SBA, and then the SBA. So it's sort of the way it works is we approve it, send it to the CDC, they approve it, and then they send it to the SBA, who has to approve it. And these days, it's just taking a long, long, long time. Um, it's a great program. It has its place. They both do. Uh, but lately, we've um, not really been encouraging the use of the 504 just because of how long it takes. And if, mm. it, you know that uh, these days, trying to buy an existing self-storage facility is like trying to buy a house. Uh, mm-hmm. You got so many people going after it, uh, oh, so yeah. many people that are in line behind you if you don't get it. And we've seen folks who uh, were under contract, <clears throat> had a deadline, you know, had a date they had to close by. And because they wanted to go the route of a 504, they couldn't get closed in time and they lost the deal because there's people behind them with offering more and sometimes offering cash. Mm-hmm. So the, the, uh, the seller's not going to extend it. Uh, so, like I said, they both are great programs. They both have their place. But right now, we're really um, encouraging the use of 7A just because we control the process and uh, it's going to be a lot more predictable in trying to meet deadlines. For sure. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And that's super unfortunate to, I mean, to go through all your due diligence, to have some under contract and then just not meet that that due diligence period timeline. Uh, man, I, I can't even imagine. Uh, what are you seeing just out of curiosity timeline wise on an average for the 504? We've been seeing, uh, we've seen some that were 120 days. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And those due diligence periods have been been going down, too. So, yes, they sure are. <laughs> like they you sure said, are. you know, this this whole compression thing going on uh, with in consolidation, it's just, uh, you know, de- demand is there. There's a lot of interest in demand. And, um, you know, what used to be 120 days is now 60 or whatever. Yep, <laughs> so, sure is. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's definitely the landscape's changing for sure. So, no, that's a great rundown of the SBA route. And so what's I mean, first steps, I mean, Somebody that wants to go the SBA route, what are they looking, what do they need, all that jazz to get that going? Um, 
well, usually I say you need to call us. So we can send you a list of things. But, you know, we're going to want tax returns, three years tax returns, uh, personal and business, uh, you know, three years tax returns on the business you're buying. Uh, if you're building one, we want a feasibility study from someone that, you know, is on our list of approved vendors because, you know, there's a lot of folks hanging out shingles right now that do feasibility studies that may have done six, but you, you don't know what their track record is. So mm -hmm. we have a list of folks that um, we will accept studies from. Uh, so, you know, feasibility says business plan. We want a really detailed business plan. We want to understand how you're going to, to operate this business, how you're going to manage it, what you're going to do to, to get this thing stabilized if it's not already. And, uh, you know, you got obviously there's two scenarios. Is it, a, is it an acquisition or a new build? Uh, so we need your business plan. And, and I always really harp on that because uh, you, it needs to be as detailed as possible. You need to brag on yourself. We need you to basically that is how you're going to be able to be presenting yourself to the credit officer of the credit committee. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to be working through the loan officer, but what you put in that business plan can really help that credit officer visualize you and what you're going to do and your, your eye of the tiger, as we call it. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that totally makes sense. And do you guys, so on the development side, I know that'll differ slightly from the acquisition side, just purchasing existing facilities. Do you prefer they have contractors and, and contracts lined up and secured? Or how does, how does that work if they're working through uh, and developing a, a facility? Well, we, you know, we, we like to talk to them as early as we can. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if they don't have a contractor yet, that, that's fine. We want to talk to them and set expectations and make sure that they know what we need and what we're looking for. So, you know, the earlier, the better. Mm -hmm. And uh, if they don't have um, a contractor, uh, you know, we can recommend a few that they can talk to. Uh, look, we've, we've seen, oh, cool. uh, you know, we've had good experience with this contractor in your market. And, you know, being that I was in the building supply side for over 20 years, I've got a pretty extensive Rolodex of those type of people. So, man, I need uh, that. We, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, cause, you know, based on where you are, maybe you need uh, some recommendations on building suppliers or, yeah. or general contractors or, or, you know, security or whatever it is. Very cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to send you an email and asking you for uh, a good list of of <laughs> contacts here because you know, sure. like with us, we're growing like crazy. We've got all these acquisitions and developments and things going on. So, um, building those contractor relations is huge, and having those go to people just lined up, ready to go. Uh, that's that's huge for us to to be able to to underwrite well and accurately and everything else and, and having those good partners both on the financing and the the construction side so absolutely it's, uh, it's the team that makes it successful it's it's the whole team and yeah quite often i ask you know if they're if they're already working with a building supplier uh, i'll direct them to you to the building supplier so you ask them for a general contractor recommendation because chances are they being their sales rep has even a smaller market and they're gonna know who the people are that do a great work in those markets. And one of the things I don't wanna do is to inadvertently uh, recommend a general contractor that prefers a different vendor than the one they're already working with. I don't wanna create any conflict there. So uh, that's the first question is, are you working with a building supplier? Yes, okay, ask them for a general contractor. If they can't give you one, I'll see if I can hit it. 
Awesome. No, that's that's awesome. I mean, that's such a huge time suck for a lot of people is going through trying to find good contractors and good reputable people to work with. Because like you're talking about, even on the feasibility study side, I mean, where you've got a lot of these people, uh, these third party contractors that you go out and you're, you're expecting them to, to know exactly what needs to be done or not, um, how to do it correctly or not. And uh, there's there are those bad apples out there that you have to avoid. And those can be extremely costly. And uh both time and resources and, and opportunity. So uh, having those having those referrals from people like you, Terry, is, is a big, big win, no yeah. doubt. Um, and, 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 and having a good contractor these days, especially oh, man. pricing yeah. with what's going on out there. You know, that that's it makes it even more paramount that For you've sure. got somebody that knows what they're doing. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we, we've run into that in our projects before where we bring, you know, we've had kind of a general rundown of, of what the engineering and structural and all this is going to look like. And then we bring in a contractor that is extremely well-versed in storage that comes in and says, no, like you don't need to do that. This is way over engineered. You can use this system or that system. And they bring that level of value engineering to where you can build a facility a lot more effectively, use the space more efficiently, whatever that looks like. Uh, and, I mean, that's you're talking tons and tons of uh, missed opportunity if you do miss out on those things. That's so, for sure. yeah, no, it's it's unfortunate. So, uh, what what interesting stuff are you seeing in just the finance world in general with with all the craziness going on in the world? I mean, what are you what are you guys looking at currently? What's going on like current event wise, and then what do you see future wise? I mean, I mean, people they want to know interest rates, they want to know just kind of these general financial projections and kind of what you guys are seeing. So I just kind of wanted to dive into that a little bit. Sure. Well, there, there's a ton of interest still. I mean, we can hardly keep up with the number of calls and emails and leads online <laughs> that we're getting. Yeah. Uh, it's just tons of them and still seeing a lot of people that want to build. Um, and, you know, we have to have that, that tough conversation with them up front um, as to, you know, what's going on and what kind of requirements we're, you know, we're seeing and, uh, you know, I, I keep in touch still with all the steel suppliers, um, not just the building suppliers, but the coil suppliers and the, the parts manufacturers and things like that mm -hmm. uh, fairly regularly to keep an eye on what's going on with pricing. And, uh, you know, I'm still hearing uh, as of last week that, that we can probably still keep expecting increases through the end of this year, uh, maybe even to the first of next year. I mean, they were supposed to stop by May of this year. And uh, they just they just keep going up and up and up because yeah. you, know, you know the co consolidation of steel manufacturers, the steel suppliers, as far as uh, the mills, I should say, uh, they keep consolidating and they can try can control supply and demand now, which is going to keep their prices where they want them. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know you got to deal with that. But one of the good things, I guess, um, with the, with the price of steel, is that we're seeing you know record occupancies, uh, record rates. Uh, those things are still, uh, you know, to a degree, helping to be able to justify the build with the higher numbers um, in some cases. And, and we are having to see people, you know, with more liquidity to be able to come in and possibly cover uh, contingencies of overruns um, by, you know, by the if they if they close the loan today and put it in order, they don't really get their actual steel price until it's delivered or till it's shipped. That could be six months from now. Mm -hmm. So we got to see that you've got liquidity to cover that if the loan can't go any higher. And so we have, you know, these tough conversations every week, you know, can this loan close or do we have to wait to at least, if we could at least let steel level off, 
we'd have a baseline to work from. But no we kidding. don't know where the top is. Yeah, and for anybody that hasn't looked at steel prices or any of that lately, I mean, you're looking at like a, a perfect uh, example of the old hockey stick. <laughs> I mean, it's just definitely. going and then just spikes and I it's talk, not slowing down. A building supplier a couple in the last couple of weeks who told me that they have gotten um, a requote about a year old and it's a requote and they said that their prices for the first time they've ever seen this is 120% of what it was a year ago. Man, yeah, now that's hard to plan for. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing seven-figure yeah. increases from quotes at the beginning of this year. It's it's yeah. it's really really high. So that's obviously compressing the cap rates on acquisitions because they know they can get them. And there's such a it's like a fevered pitch of people trying to buy, get in the industry, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, you know we're working with them uh, as we can. Again, it's all about just setting expectations. But there's still so many people out there trying to get into this business, and um, they're they're finding deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of them they're finding off-market deals, and they're able to make them work. Uh, so we're 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 still gonna we're probably gonna have close to a record year this year. Yeah, no, I could only imagine. And lending, so uh, and uh, you know, there's there's nothing in sight showing us where it's going to really come down. Um, the the like I said, the occupancy rates keep going up, driving the value of these things up. And um, just to give you um, anecdotally, I can give you an example of one that um, I'm an investor and a partner with, you know, some facilities. And one of them in particular, we're, we're refining them right now. We just refined them last week, actually. Awesome. But in, in the refi, uh, when we got the appraisal back on this one particular project, we bought it a year and a half ago. We have 1.4 million in it. The appraisal came back at 4.2. <laughs> this is the you know we, we're not seeing very many to that extreme. Yeah, that gives you an idea of what we're seeing and how it's getting tougher to finance them for the the, the smaller guys. I mean, mm-hmm. we're still financing them with people who have you know have some liquidity and have some money, but uh, you know the the smaller guys, which the SBA really is you know developed to help. Uh, they're they're getting pushed out not by the loans or not being able to get a loan. It's just the the pricing is kind of pushing them out. Yeah. It's getting, crazy stupid. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely feverish like you're talking about. Um, but like you said, there are those opportunities that are still out there. You know, people are finding uh, finding yep. storage facilities. They're they're finding places to develop and all these things that, you know, the numbers still work. They make sense. Uh, it is more difficult than it used to be. That's for sure. Um, but what do you, um, as far as the the individuals that are having a hard time do you, do you see a lot of people coming in that have raised investor money to kind of help cover the, the cost of the borrower coming in? Yes. Or how, how are they structuring that? Yes, quite often there's there's several of them coming in together. Yeah. Doing sort of, some sort of syndication where, you know, they've got several people that are involved that are below the 20% mark. So they don't have to be guarantors or underwritten. Uh, but, uh, you know, we still have to uh, research the, the equity and, and where it came from. But we don't really have to underwrite them and they're not signing on the loan. So we're seeing mm. more of that for sure. Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. And then, uh, yeah, I know it's been crazy. It, I mean, AJ at the beginning of, beginning of this year was saying, "Man, it's going to be." I'm really thinking it's going to be a busy year. And uh, with all the the talk of possibly getting rid of the 1031 exchange and some of these other things going on tax wise, 
there's been a definite influx in people wanting to offload assets as well, which has uh, been a good thing. Uh, we've surely been crazy busy. <laughs> so you're looking at uh, acquisitions and, and these markets all over the place and developments and, and all these different things going on. So uh, that's been a huge shot in the arm for us. And uh, we're seeing a lot of growth all over the place. Um, as far as the financial industry as a whole, do you, what are your thoughts on interest rates? Do, I mean, do you have any, I don't know, you don't have any crystal balls or anything like that, but uh, what are you, what are you guys seeing? What are you guys planning for interest rate wise? What do you, what kind of impacts do you think, you know, a rise in interest rates would have on the industry, anything like that? Well, I just, I think, uh, let's say, you know, we, we don't anticipate any increases anytime soon. You know, they keep yeah. changing the forecast on that three years, one year, two years, whatever. Yeah. And again, you know, have no idea, but I don't know that the industry will be impacted that much. Even if the rates do go up, they're still not high. I mean, they're still good rates. It'll just cause the uh, cap rates to come back up some, uh, cause some of the, the costs to come down. So I think, and it usually balances out. I think when the, the interest rates go down, uh, so do cap rates, and I think that when the interest rates go up, um, probably the same thing will happen. So it can st- still, you know, keep, you know, train, train, trading hands, so to speak, uh, with these properties. I think uh, as long as the rates and the, the when I say rates, the the market rates and the occupancies are where they are, even if it does the rate, the interest rates go up, it's still going to keep going, in my opinion. Uh, until it reaches a point where you're getting some saturation or maybe overbuilding in some places. And that's what everybody has to watch out for and Mm -hmm. be aware of and be smart about is, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons we require a feasibility study on any new construction. And, but, you know, we can control that. We can control overbuilding in the market to a, to a point, but we can't control anybody coming in after us, mm-hmm. uh, after our customer does. And that's where everybody's just got to be smart about it because if you just go try and build one because you want to build one and own one because uh, it's the thing to do, you're going to hurt everybody. Exactly, exactly. Now, that education is huge, uh, both on the individual where people who are wanting to get into storage, the investors and so forth, but then also educating a lot of these these cities and, and these individuals that are making the decision whether or not to approve these certain developments uh, that we just had a, an experience with that recently where there is a – so we've got a facility – uh, that's right in this area. We've got a facility. It's a you know hundred thousand square foot plus facility that was getting built just north to us. Uh, I mean, just literally fifty feet away. <laughs> and wow. so, I mean, it's just right next to our facility, right next to our building, uh, which is fine. You know, it is what it is. But again, this is in an area with, I mean, record square feet per capita, very very high uh, already. And so that was going in, and then we got a notice about a third facility, well, a second facility to be developed, but being proposed for literally just right across the street to the what would be the west of our facility. And so all said and done, we, we like put all the numbers together, and we were looking at it, and it was going to be over half a million square feet of storage just literally right next door to each other. Wow. And um, that was going to put... I think the square feet per capita, and I know it's the one mile, but in the one mile, it was like 130 square feet per capita or something like that, Wow! Um, it, which is just insane. And uh, I mean, we're just even in the, uh, you know, the five mile, any of that stuff, the numbers were just bonkers where it was the increase of supply on the market at that point was was nowhere near where you could accurately 
underwrite it and, and know that the market could sustain that kind of an increase of supply. And um, this is just the things that we're running into with, you've got these cities and the city actually had a moratorium put on uh, development of storage, but then they decided to lift it for whatever reason. <laughs> and uh, so we, you know, just sent all these numbers into the city and, you know, just gave them all the information we have and hope and pray and we can see what happens. Wow. So that that is a huge risk that, that you have to be able to uh, account for as, as best you can. But again, if yeah. you get some of those, some of those individuals that come in and destroy a market like that, uh, that can be, that can be a huge detrimental effect to that particular facility, which is another, another good reason to be diversified. Yeah. <laughs> well, those guys must be banking on a whole lot of people, uh, escaping the California taxes to come over. Oh man. I tell you what. Yeah. And I, and you know what, I know growth is, is going bonkers here in, you know, the Boise, Idaho area and things just in general. But again, I mean, just anytime we kind of benchmark like 15%, if we can't, as far as like the increase of supply on the market, we usually don't put any more than 15% additional uh, because anything outside of that, again, we just can't accurately know that for sure the market's going to be able to sustain that level of increase of supply in the market. And I don't think, I don't think that's a thing that a lot of people think about when they go to develop or any of this, where they go in and they look at how the market is going to absorb whatever percent of the increase that they're putting of supply onto that market, uh, which is a huge, huge thing that people need to look for. Um, and kind of speaking to that, what are some other things that you got, you guys have seen people kind of missing the mark? And it's like, hey, no, yeah, you guys really should pay attention to that. Well, I mean, you know, uh, as far as, you know, doing your homework, making sure there is a market there, that their rates will, will support it. But, you know, just things in general uh, is uh, like in acquisitions, where sometimes folks will fail to make sure that they understand fully how their property taxes will be looked at and how they will change so that uh, they don't purchase a facility assuming it's going to be the same as the last guy or maybe a little more and then they double. Well, I've seen that. And uh, and the ones I've seen it on, unfortunately, guys, I've warned about that and they didn't take it mm -hmm. to heart. So little things like that. Um, just you know, making sure you do your homework is, is the bottom line. It's, you know, we always like to say it's not rocket science and the industry is not rocket science, but it does require some um, use of your brain. It does. Yes. Yeah. Some use of the brain and, and some discipline, you know, like sticking to yes. that criteria and not like, you know, say falling in love with the deal that people like to say, you know, where they just fall in love with the idea of a deal in a specific area, whatever that is. Uh, you got to be able to walk away. That's a huge deal. Being able to just say, nope, okay, moving on. That's not going to work. We're going to take this somewhere else. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you can go and develop the same asset for a fraction of the cost somewhere else and have way better market conditions, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like exactly. why not, I mean, dude? If, if you like, feel you want to be in a market that bad that you're willing to wreck it, uh, why not go by, go to somebody there and just say, hey, how about selling me your facility? Or, mm -hmm. or otherwise, I'm going to build. At least that that gives an option there, you know, for um, the the ones that are already there to sell and not get into some sort of price war where everybody's losing. Exactly, exactly. Well, and that's just the thing is is storage is absolutely one of those industries that the the whole rising tide lifts all ships scenario, mm -hmm. where if you do have somebody come in and they put way too much supply on the market, I mean, AJ's talked about this time and time again, where uh, the biggest threat to self storage is self storage, 
And uh, it's, it's true, and we see it happening all over the place where you get into these overbuilt markets that are just going to be not good for the next 10 years or however long yeah. it's going to take. Yeah. Uh, it's there's, just, a, there's, only, there's only so many people in a market that, that are going to rent. At any yeah. given time, yep. you're not, you know, the old saying, you've probably heard it is it's like selling caskets. It doesn't matter if you have a sale on caskets, if they don't need it, they're not going to buy it. Yep. Same with storage. <laughs> if they don't need it, they're not going to rent it. So. Exactly. No, no, I couldn't have said it better myself. Now it's such a, such a true, t- true statement there for sure. Uh, well, with that, what do you guys, I know you guys do certain promotions and in different aspects on SBAs and you guys were doing some there for a little while. Are you guys, you guys have any other new specials coming out or incentives, SBA loans or otherwise? No, in fact, the, the SBA subsidies that are currently out there are scheduled to end uh, September 30th. Mm. Uh, Everybody is of the opinion. We don't have official quote unquote official word yet, but everybody is fairly certain it's going to run out. Before that, maybe mid-September. So, if you're not already in the pipe, you're not going to get it. So it's you know it's it's useless at this point. The, and mm-hmm. the ones that are in the pipe, um, there's a chance that they won't get it because funding wow. runs out when it runs out, and uh, it's not going to make it to the end. Uh, you know, for some of these subsidies, because you got two different ones right now. The one is they're they're making three months of PNI payments. Mm-hmm. Uh, up to nine thousand a month for any for loans that are fully dispersed, um, they not just closed but fully dispersed as long as funding uh, is there. But uh, you know the SBA fee that they were waiving, um, that's the one that's probably going to be gone soon as well. Mm-hmm. And you know on a five million dollar deal, that's about one hundred thirty five thousand dollars. So having that waived was a, was a pretty big deal. And I know that's that's part of uh, all the activity we've had and that's been going on that's keeping us, you know, so busy. But that's just part of it. Uh, it's just the the market is there's such a frenzy in the market. You've got, you know, Bill Gates uh, invested in it. Warren Buffett's in it. Mm-hmm. Blackstone bought a big portfolio. It, it's like it's not under anybody's radar anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody knows about it. And everybody knows that if they can do any homework, hey, the rates and the occupancy are at all time highs. So I don't want my money in the stock market because it's artificially inflated right now. And when it collapses, I want it into something that's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that absolutely and again, that's makes my sense. opinion, not a lot, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just <my> <laughs> uh, No, I love it, man. I love it. Well, is there anything we didn't cover that you want to jump in and, and talk about? Well, actually, you know, I was going to ask you guys, do you do uh, construction loans or anything like that? Well, the, the, um, both of the SBA loans are construction. I mean, we can do construction or acquisitions. Gotcha. Um, and, and I'll tell you, one of the things I've really been um, sort of encouraging when I talk to people try, looking to get in the business, looking to build right now, I'm strongly encouraging them to find a, an empty building and do a conversion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the, the, the cost of that building probably uh, isn't that bad, especially compared to trying to build from ground up all steel. If that building's sitting there empty, chances are the, the prices have not been going up on that. And uh, just the interior conversion part is only steel they're going to deal with. So it's going to be much less affected by the steel increases and steel availability because it's not just the cost, but there's also, you know, sort of allocations uh, that that building suppliers are given. So I really, really recommend looking at conversions if, you, you know, my, to me, uh, my this and this is me personally uh, as an owner or investor is find that value add deal off market 
find that value add deal on market if you can't find it off market uh, then it's going to be a conversion and the last resort for me is a new build from the ground up just because of the steel prices and the amount of of um, cost and basis you're going to have in that project uh, you know if three years from now you're up and running and you're doing well, but suddenly something causes the rates to drop on your, I mean, your rental rates to drop. You've still got that expensive basis you've got to cover. Mm-hmm. So, the, the, you know, those are some of the things that I think about and I try to encourage folks to, to consider. No, I love it, man. All great things to think about and, and very critical things to be thinking about. And uh, a great, I love how you structured that in, in what kind of deals you would look at first and, and work your way down through. I think it's a really smart way to look at it and, and look at these opportunities that are out there. And uh, with that, man, thanks so much for coming on. I uh, really appreciate you coming on here and talking about all this stuff. This is just a huge wealth of information for a lot of people looking to get started. And uh, for anybody out there, uh, where can they reach you at? I know we've got links in the show notes already to, to Live Oak and everything, but uh, as far as anything else, any resources you want to direct them to? I'll just give them you know, my email address, uh, terry.campbell, that's T-E-R-R-Y dot C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L at liveoak.bank. And if you want to call me, 910-202-6933. That's actually my direct line. So uh, I love to talk about this stuff. Love to help folks trying to get into business. That's what I'm here for. That's what I live for. Uh, Eat, eat, breathe, sleep, live, sell storage. Uh, Anything you can do and anything we can do as a bank to help, we're, we're here and we'd love to be part of it. I love it, man. I love it. Well, with that said, we'll put all that stuff in the show notes for everybody there. Uh, Get it live, Oak. Get it, Terry. And uh, get yourself storage going on. Thanks a bunch, Terry. We'll see you next time. Thanks for having me again. Take care.